You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, where we aim to simplify online business so you can make more money. Now, here's your host, Derek Gale. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, a podcast designed to skip the hype, skip the BS, and just bring you real actionable tips and strategies to help you grow your business and income on the internet. And uh, if I've done my job, when you're done listening to this podcast, you'll have a list of actions, tasks, and steps you can start applying to just to make more money. And uh, this is your host, Derek Gale. And today we're going to be diving deep into a topic that uh, I personally can't get enough of, and that is email marketing. And uh, I've been doing business online for, uh, uh, for a long time. And anybody who has has heard the saying that the money is in the list. And I can tell you there is real truth behind this. And over the past 15 years, I've watched as countless marketers have predicted the downfall of email with the rise of social media. And other technologies that have uh, come and gone. And to date, nobody's been right. Email is still one of the, if not the most powerful and profitable marketing tool we have available today to reach out to people and connect with them. So in order to take your email marketing knowledge to the next level, uh, today's guest is a very long-time digital entrepreneur, someone that's been doing business on the internet since, I believe, 1997, and uh, an email marketing expert that recently took his over two decades of experience and turned it into an email marketing platform specialized for high volume email marketers to get maximum results uh, from every email they send. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mark Goldman to the show. Mark, thanks for being here today. Hey, it's my pleasure, Derek. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Now, before we dive into uh, to all the good email stuff we're going to talk about today, uh, can you expand on my introduction? More specifically, just give us an overview of your journey as a digital entrepreneur, how you got started online, and what was the path to becoming the, the email authority that you are today? Sure. Happy to do it, Derek. Well, around 1995-96, I was actually... Um, just about graduating college and getting started in a business uh, for myself. My wife and I were always in business together. At that time, we weren't married. We were dating. And we knew that we wanted to be in business together. So we used to spend a lot of our time at Barnes & Noble and places like that, leafing through the back of Small Business Magazine and Fortune and Home Business and all these opportunity-type magazines and thinking about what could we do to get started. We actually became um, resellers of a product that was teaching people how to get started in direct mail or direct marketing. And we bought this package where all you had to do was run some ads, they said, and drive people to a voicemail script and use that voicemail script to get people to raise their hands so you're only speaking to the most qualified prospects and get them a sales letter in their hands. If they were interested, they'd send you money in the mail. Now, at first, it sounded like pie in the sky because we'd been trying things for a year. We'd done things like building glass bead spiders and soldering <laughs> soldering circuit boards and all kinds of rubbish that you found in the back of those magazines at that time. And a lot of $39.95 money orders were wasted as we as we got our feet wet. But this thing actually worked. You know, The first day that we got a $97 money order in the mail and the check uh, a check in the mail thereafter, we were just like, Okay, this can work. But remember, we were doing everything offline. It was two-step marketing. We would place ads in penny savers and local papers and periodicals and things like that and spend a good deal of money. And we would get people who 
did raise their hand. We were only sending the sales letter out to the most qualified people, and they would send us money back in the mail. And you know, the, it was great, but I still had to keep a full-time job as a network engineer, which was my background. I was into, I have a degree in psychology, but I was actually in the computer field at that time working. So I was still, I still had to maintain this this career um, while I was building up the business. And I said to myself, if we could just lower our expenses, because from what I'd spoken to other direct marketing experts, they told me breaking even, which is what we were doing, was pretty darn good. So. We actually, in about 1990, late 96, early 97, we ran an ad on AOL Classifieds, which unfortunately you can't do anymore. <laughs> but it was $13 for this ad, okay? And um, the ad started on a Sunday, and it would um, run, I think, Sunday to Sunday. It started about 11 o'clock in the morning. Around 12 o'clock in the afternoon, about an hour after it ran, we got our first sale. So a $13 investment. $97 sale. And I think we made about $800 off of that one ad. So needless to say, we kind of threw away the Pitney Bowes machine, <laughs> closed out the voicemail and decided we were going to be online entrepreneurs. And that was really the start of our online entrepreneurship. So I've always had two feet in the marketing and the technology world, okay, one foot in each. And it is kind of a, a, a unique perspective because most people that you talk to, they're either marketers, they're either hardcore marketers or they're hardcore technologists. And I'm like, I'm both. And I'm hardcore with it, so it's not like I'm dabbling. I am hardcore in both. Where you know, I, if I want to, I never programmed in my life. I always hired programmers, but I'm starting to get to the point where I'm actually teaching myself programming because I'm tired of programmers telling me why something's impossible. I hate that <laughs> word "impossible." So I actually teach myself that. I, I leverage all the skills I had with network engineering to build my own servers and things like that for the company. And yet, I could still get down and dirty with ROI and the lifetime value of a customer and all those things. So I've always kind of lived in both worlds and been able to straddle that. And I think that that's kind of my sweet spot and my unique selling proposition. So it, uh, for years we were doing that. And then uh, the way we built our business up and turned into a software business was through joint ventures and strategic alliances, which I became really good at uh, establishing joint ventures and strategic partnerships because I hated to spend money on advertising. It's primarily the main thing, um, the main reason. And we got really good at that. We taught that for years. It was actually a path where at one point we wondered, would we continue with software because our, our marketing business venture led us into software or would we start with information products and joint ventures we kind of had both for a while but years uh of of doing business with our we had this e-commerce email software platform called goldbar one for many years that was kind of a hybrid similar to one shopping cart or infusion soft for many years and we had a lot of marketers who used to come to us who said I like what you've got, but I'm already covered with a shopping cart, already covered with affiliate software. What I really want is somebody who is a marketer like me who can help me deliver this huge list that I've got. Explain to me what I'm doing wrong. I'm not averse to doing things right, but I keep getting kicked off of every other email platform that I'm on. So that's kind of in my life in marketing, Derek. I've always figured out that you know customers will tell you what they want to buy, and when they're asking and clamoring for something, the person if you don't deliver it to them, somebody else is going to. So my mantra has always been, you know, give the people what they want, and I started to become really good at 
getting delivery for a small clientele, what I call a boutique clientele. We weren't advertising, we weren't marketing. I wasn't trying to compete with the Awebers and the Entreports and the Infusionsofts that are out there. I was very happy with this boutique business that I had. My clients were happy and they kept me busy and paid by referring other people. So that's really how I got to the point that we're at today. But now we're about to finally pull off the Pull, uh, pull apart the kimono, as they say, and show people what's underneath and leverage the same technology in our newest version called EM13 that is going to, um, you know, we're going to be able to, to, to get high volume marketers the delivery that they should be getting. And so just so I understand, and, and we'll dive into the email marketing stuff here in a second, where is EM13 and this new platform that you're developing fit in the in the spectrum of email marketing service providers out there from the, you know, the MailChimp Aweber to the exact target? Okay, it's somewhere in between. I consider us a hybrid, right? It, it's, you, you've got your um, ESPs with a shared pool and they kind of have their free trial, freemium model like MailChimp that goes up to nine ninety five and et cetera. Yeah. Then you've got Aweber, a little bit higher tier, a little bit more geared towards people doing strictly doing online marketing, whereas MailChimp and Constant Contact are kind of geared towards more small businesses who may not have that much online marketing savvy. So Aweber, GetResponse, those companies, they're, they're still using a shared pool of IPs that you as a customer come in and mail on. And I don't actually believe in that model. I've done it. I've done it for other people and I've gotten really good results for them. But I actually feel that people get better results from leveraging their own IPs, their own domains. We'll talk about that a little later, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But exact target is a little uh, more of the higher tier and that's kind of where we fall in close to, where I give people all that done-for-you service. You don't have to learn um, a lot of technology. There's software that's out there a couple of competitors that uh, are, require people to basically be like a Unix programmer mm-hmm. or a Unix admin to use and learn. And a lot of email guys, the guys who send out high volume email, really are Unix experts. That That's where it's daunting to a lot of people. And that's where the ESP model of make it easy and done for you came in. So we're kind of a hybrid of both. We'll, we'll make it easy and done for you, but you don't use a shared pool of IPs. You're all on your own dedicated space. Ah, fascinating. So it's 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 sort of taking a, a get response Aweber front end, but tacking it to a back end where you get the the enterprise features of dedicated IPs and better tracking delivery, delivery and stuff yeah. like that. Exactly. Ah, yeah, and, and exactly. there has been a void in the market. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and I did actually see that a couple of years ago. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I did see that that there was a vo- this void in the marketplace that you either had to be an expert or um, you know a guy who kind of put your whole life in the hands of the ESP. Because I've seen I hear horror stories every day from people uh, that I speak to who are like, "But the ESP shut me down. They mm-hmm. told me that I was doing this wrong. I don't even know what I did wrong, and I've just been kicked off." And horror story after horror story. I kind of want. I've never believed. In that draconian model of doing business, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, there's a lot you can do wrong with email, but a lot of times it's innocent mistakes that if you could educate someone and show them what they're doing wrong, most people are receptive for it. Those who aren't fall into that, they cross the line into that kind of hardcore spammer uh, category, which again, I'm not, I'm not casting any moral judgments on people there. They make uh, a lot of money and I, you know, as long as they're not, you know, doing anything wrong, taking over people's computers, that's their own cross to bear if that's the model they want to take. But most people who are just trying to do business online, they don't fall into that category. They just make mistakes. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally agree. And uh, okay, so now we could go in so many different directions <laughs> with this uh, with this call here today. But uh, let's start start with mistakes because one of the reasons I love talking to to someone like yourself is you get visibility not just into a single campaign in a single niche. You're watching all sorts of different mailers across all sorts of different markets. And so you have a you have a, a deeper insight into what's working, what's not working. And so uh, first question for you is what are the let's say top three, top five, however many you want to give, mistakes that you see people making with email marketing today? Hmm. Okay. So without a doubt, the number one mistake that people are making is not segmenting their emails. And by segmenting their emails, is a lot, it's a, a big word that sometimes scares people because they don't understand it. What it simply means is that you're dividing up your list into smaller groups of, and categories of people who have, um, let's put it simply, let's go back to my original story of how we used to use the voicemail to get people to raise their hand. And that way we only spoke to the most qualified people. So we were actually segmenting then in an offline marketing way. We were putting out an offer and, getting, and saying to people, this may not be for everybody, but if it is for you, please call this number and let us know and then we'll be in touch with you and continue the conversation beyond that. For those of you who it's not appropriate for, that's okay. Maybe there's something else that we've got for you. So you've got to take that same kind of approach with your email marketing and 90% of people, I would say 99% of people are not doing it. They're just simply mailing and blasting out to everybody on their list. They believe the mantra is the money is in the list, Derek, but the money is also in a really tightly focused segment of your list. Mm -hmm. And what you may be selling to one person may not be appropriate for the 100,000 people that you've got on your list. Maybe it's appropriate for 1,000. So by segmenting, you could start in the most simplest terms with segmenting. Are you mailing to only the people who are opening and clicking on your emails? That's what's referred to in some uh, circles of the mail world as your engaged users, okay? So if somebody opens your email, they are presumed to be engaged. And engaged is a fancy way of saying, are they alive? Are they even awake enough to be seeing your email coming in and at least clicking on it, on the subject at least, so that they view what you've got? They haven't clicked on any links you've put in there yet. So that's the base level of engagement. And that's a segment that you could start with. That's the, the let's say, the lowest common denominator segment that you've got is your openers. And then you've got your clickers. And that's somebody who's read the email. It's interested them. You've got a good call to action in there. They click on it, takes them to a website. Whatever happens beyond there is out of the hands of the email program to an extent. Mm -hmm. And that is also a segment. So that's a separate segment of openers and clickers. But you also do have another segment that most people tend to ignore. And that is the unengaged, or I've heard some people call them the non-openers. Okay. Now, you have to understand, when you're dealing with companies like Gmail and Yahoo and AOL and Hotmail who control the most inboxes of every other provider in the world, so uh, like it, on your list, probably 70 to 80% of it will be made up of one of those four, Hotmail or Microsoft Outlook, all the different Microsoft platforms, Yahoo, 
or Gmail. And also AOL is big on there for the North American people. Um, so you've got those four controlling pretty much the Western Hemisphere and the three, Microsoft, Yahoo, and Gmail, controlling the whole world of email for the most part, about 70 to 80% of inboxes. So they may not like you mailing to non-openers. And the reason is they want to they want you to respect their resources. So it, it costs them money to provide an email service to those of us who open our Gmail account. So they want to make sure that you as a mailer are mailing to people who are interested. But a lot of people began taking that too seriously and running around and saying, get rid of everybody who hasn't opened. And I have to admit, I was guilty of that myself a couple of years ago. But I began to look at it and say, well, that's actually a valuable segment of the people who aren't opening. And maybe, there's an old expression, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And maybe by getting rid of the people who haven't opened or clicked after a certain number of days, you're actually getting rid of the uh, the baby with the bathwater. So if you segment out the people who are unengaged or non-openers and begin mailing them or building a relationship with them that maybe you didn't do so well the first time around, then you can get a chance to convert that segment back into another one, openers and clickers. So the biggest mistake that I see, Derek, is not doing this segmentation. We've got it on the base level. And we could I'll move that into a second mistake because it's a little more advanced. At, at, at every level, everyone should be doing at least segmenting openers, clickers, and non-openers. Okay, but then the second thing you should be doing is if what, if, what do you do if somebody um, clicks a link and clicks a specific link? Do you then move them out of this big main list and put them on a secondary list? Let for example, let's say I have a bunch of offers. I sell, um, I sell Jordans, Air Jordans, okay? And I want to find out who's interested in classic Air Jordans. And I send out an email and I say, you know, if you want to see the dopest pair of Air Jordans from 85, from when we used to run the hoops and, you know, run the court, I might sound like a jackass. If I had kids, they'd probably be laughing at me right now. <laughs> but, you know, you find... Those people who click on that and put them in their very own list, those people who clicked on classic Air Jordan email, then you know that exactly what makes that person tick. And you could continue sending Air Jordan type emails or classic type emails. Maybe you want to send them, or you've got a collection of 80s hip hop CDs that you want to sell to them. Whatever the case is, you now know something more about that person. And it's all about learning more about the people on your list, even if you've never met them and never seen them. And you do that through this process of segmenting and advanced segmenting. So most people, number one, are not doing any segmenting at all. And the biggest mistake after that is they're not doing advanced segmenting to build out niches of lists. So you may have an overall list of 100,000, but within that 100,000, you may have about 50 to 100 different sublists that you really know their interests about. And you could, if you think about it and you've got it um, covered in, in what specific interests those people are in and you've got more things to share with them, more content to feed them, more products to sell them, more JV partnerships that you could establish to uh, send other endorsement type emails to them. 
you're going to get a great response. That great response is going to be translated into better reputation for you as a mailer and better delivery. And so by segmenting and not advanced segmenting, those are the two biggest mistakes that people make. And the third mistake that they make, this is really critical, is that I find most people don't mail enough. They just don't they, there is no frequency to their email. They're scattered and all over the place. They might mail once a month, once a week. Maybe one week they mail five times and the next week they, they mail once. All of that frequency in your mailing, it matters. It's like if you have a dog, and I, I'm a big dog fan. I love dogs. They thrive on consistency, on frequency. They can make judgments on you and on the relationship that they're going to have with you and on the life that you're going to give them. If, you have a, if you're a dog owner and you're listening, you want to give your animal the best life that it possibly can have, I would assume. And so by giving them structure and frequency, you, uh, at what, they know what to expect from the relationship, and that makes them calm. If you ever watch The Dog Whisperer with Cesar Milani, he's always talking about being, you know, uh, having a calm, submissive animal. They get that from you, from knowing what to expect from you. Your list will get that also from knowing what to expect from you. And also, the Gmails and Yahoos and, and Microsofts of the world and other providers will also know what to expect from you by being frequent. So you might hear people talk about warming up IPs. Mm -hmm. And warming up IPs means, you know, when you get a new set of dedicated IPs, you have to mail a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and increase it. Uh, by a certain percentage every day until the ISPs, as I refer to them, or the ESPs, as others do, um, know what to expect when you send email to their people. But I personally believe with warming up that it's, and I've actually done tests to back this up, it's more about your frequency rather than the quantity. Because if you're going from 1,000, and then the next day 10,000, and the next day 100,000 or 50,000, that's actually some jumps in frequency. Yeah, maybe there's some there, maybe there's some measure that it looks the same. Maybe it was 10,000, you went up by 10,000 every day. That's a little more, uh, that's a little better than 50,000. But I actually tell people, you could start with 100,000 if you have 100,000 on your list and mail them. If a good, you're working with a good email company, a good email platform, It'll actually have built-in rates that help control how much mail is sent for you. So you never have to worry about all that stuff. But the point is, if you're not mailing daily, and the perfect example of this is Ben Settle. Okay, most people know Ben Settle. Um, he's a great email marketer. He's somebody who's famous for teaching how to mail every day. And the guy without fail mails every single day. And you know what? Even if he offends a lot of people, which is good too because even the people he offends actually open and click on his emails, he, they know what to expect from him. They know that every day around 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, you're going to get email from Ben Settle. So that is predictable, that is reliable, that is comfortable, and that is it goes for your list as well as for the people who receive your email. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And, and But – Every so okay, so every day to me feels extreme, right? So, um, and I mean, this is this is something you know, put 10 markers in a room and get 10 different answers, right? right um, right. so where do you sit on that? Like, I would say I, I'm totally comfortable with a couple times a week. Like, I think if you have a list and you're not doing a couple times a week, 
you're you're leaving money on the table and and you're not mailing them enough. But daily, that feels like you're gonna push, you're gonna potentially push good leads away just through too much stuff. What's right. where where do you sit on that? Okay, there's a couple there's a couple of ways that I feel about it. Number one, I kind of lean towards you. I'm a little bit more on the conservative side when it comes to my own email marketing stuff. Yeah. Right, so I, I'd probably be a couple of times a week, and maybe if there's a launch or something, that might you might know that you're going to get mail from me every day. Sure. But I'd probably let you know beforehand and tell you that you'll be rewarded for going through it, you know. And afterwards, you do actually reward them. Mm-hmm. You you really you you know you give your list something, some free content, something that a free webinar with you, call in, whatever it is that you come up with, that will let them know that you, you appreciate them enduring your increasing the volume. But I think it's more important to be what whatever style you choose, whether it be a couple of day, times a week like Derek, or whether it be daily like Ben Settle, is that you stick with that style. Because when you change it, that's when you introduce inconsistency. And that creates, I do have a psychology degree, so I hate to use these five $10 words, but it's a term <laughs> called cognitive dissonance. Okay, That's where people expected something and they didn't get it. And it kind of creates this confusion in their brain that their brains can't wrap around. And as marketers listening to this podcast, that is the worst thing that you want to do for your tribe. You want to make sure that they are um, really getting exactly what they expect from you, the expectations that you've set, that you've lived up to up to that point, that you get that. And if they don't, you need to give them an explanation for why they're not getting it and more before the fact than after the fact. So what my answer is really whatever you decide to do with frequency, stick to it. I do agree with Derek that daily can sometimes push it. There are examples of businesses that I consult for uh, that are clients of mine, um, that it, the model works perfectly to mail daily. Mm-hmm. And it fits in with their style and it's what people expect. Matter of fact, if you look at big corporations, my wife's a fan of Nordstrom, Banana Republic, a lot of these department stores, and I see their email style, it is pretty much every day or every other day. And there's really very little content in there. I mean, unless, hey, if there's women listening, I apologize, but the guy, I don't think the guys see you know the different shoe styles that, you know, are in every day as content. But hey, I could be wrong with that. You know, uh, I like sneakers. I like sneakers, but I kind of draw the line at sneakers. You know, um, but yeah, you can you could see whatever your list expects from you. If you deliver it to them regularly, you're going to keep them happy, and and they'll their expectations will be there. And also, the ISPs receiving your email to deliver it to everyone else, they'll also know what to expect from you. And as long as you're sticking with that you'll be fine. I've watched people also who are normally daily, and there are some really good marketers, I won't name their names, but there's some really good marketers I've seen, who mail you sometimes 10 times a day mm-hmm. during a launch. And um, I, I, I frown on that one. I suspect, because I know the ESPs that they're using, I suspect their bills skyrocket those times that they're doing 10, because I would, if I, if I was running a shared model, I would definitely raise their bill astronomically, because that 10 times a day, Complaints must be shooting through the roof. And it is actually not just you know, the fault of the person receiving the email. It's the fault of the sender at that point. You're pushing the envelope with your list, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I've been on lists where 
I've just removed myself. If I'm getting multiple emails in a day, that's that's just too much. Um, so, you know, I think we're kind of in alignment there at least a few times a week. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, the uh, I was reading up on, on the NFL and how they're doing their email. And, uh, I mean, there's a perfect – now, this, this is the Nordstrom for guys. Right. Right. Because because they're mailing on a daily basis. But where they completely are in alignment with what you're talking about is they have so much data on their subscribers because, you know, uh, they know their members, their subscribers like different teams and and live in different areas. So they're sending out emails. But I think it's something like 200 points of customization in those emails going out to those people. So, you know, when you're customizing, segmenting at that level and providing that content, you can you could mail daily, but I think every business is a little different um, in, in what you can push out there. Exactly. And that goes back to mistake number two, the advanced segmenting. And that's why I know, you know, you had another podcast with um, Chris uh, Lang, who runs our, you know, he's coming on board as our chief technology officer, yep. really well-known delivery guy, especially, you know, with some Gmail promotions tab. I don't think there's anyone better. Um, and I've known Chris for a long time. One of the things that he and I have always talked about is identity and um, looking into the points on on your people. Now, this could get a little intrusive, a little minority report, science fiction-ish. I apologize. You know, but hey, if, you, if you're naive, if you don't think that your credit card company and everyone else is collecting all of this incredible data on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got a suit custom made for me once, and I was just thinking of this today. My name's been sold to every custom tailor out there from... <laughs> Hong Kong to uh, to Miami, I get emails all the time telling me, "Hey, we're going to be in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and uh, you know, would you would you like to appear for a fitting?" So, but that's okay because you know they they do know that I did have a suit made for me once. Um, but the point is, once you know these little bits of data, like the NFL does about what team you like, you know, um, what city you live in, etc., you could start to tailor your emails more towards those interests, those specific things that are going to make somebody think that you're speaking more personally to me. And what Nordstrom could do better from uh, the same perspective is if you surveyed my wife and asked her to talk about, to tell her what kind of shoes she specifically likes, what color shoes does she like, you know, what's her favorite time of year? Do you like boots? Do you like uh, heels? Do you like flats oh my god i'm sounding like i really do know yeah you you do know a lot (laughs) all right does it get a little on the weird side but the point is you could find those you could find those specific bits of information about this person and then deliver email that's really tailored to them and the more you do that the more your open rates and click-through rates are going to skyrocket, the more, and once the click-through rates skyrocket, if everything matches, so this is classic direct marketing 101, if the message to the market is a match, so you've, you've really tailored your email to the person's interests, you're going to get a buyer a lot more than you would if you just blast out to, you know, follow the spammer approach. I know spammers, they mail 10 million pieces of email to get 1,000 clicks or 5,000 clicks, okay? Yeah. And it's imagine mailing 10,000 people to get 1,000 or 5,000 clicks. It's a really vastly different mindset. Um, it, it's still using the same technology, but it's a different mindset. And you're leveraging quality instead of quantity at that point. Well, and it goes further than that, too. I mean, you're building a long term asset there in that database because you're now training them that if they do get an email from you, nine times out of 10, it's something they're actually interested in. 
you know, right. and, and and that's huge because that whole, you know, put everybody in a bucket and send everybody the same thing. You're training people that hey, maybe one out of 10 things is interesting and I don't have time to look for that one out of 10 things. And then you might have the also the classic case where if you're kind of somewhere in the middle and let's call it let's call it the friend zone, you know, guys who were always uh, like interested in a girl, but always ended up just being a friend. That's the worst place for email also. <laughs> Where you send out these kind of bland, really no decisive, nothing segmented, nothing. It's just kind of there. And I might store a hundred copies of your email in a folder and never go back and look at them. Right? You've been put in the email friend zone. Let's call it. Yeah. And um, that's to me, that's worse than being polarizing. If you're polarizing, like let's say Ben Settle is, you know, he, you know, he angers quite a lot of people with his emails, and I. I personally get a kick out of reading them because the guy is – he's a classic – he's an expert writer. He's a copywriter. He knows how to push buttons. But that's – it's all calculated. It's not done because, you know, like he's in a brace. I've actually talked to the guy and his his views on dogs and, and life and different things like that, they mirror my own in a lot of ways. And so you know, there's a lot of things to like about him. But, you know, certainly he's – no holds barred when it comes to his marketing approach and especially his email marketing approach. And he gets told all the time by people, um, you know, what he's doing wrong. But the fact is, unless you were reading it, you wouldn't know what he's doing wrong in your mind or what he's doing right by getting you to read it. So Yeah, that's so true, right? And it's funny, as you're saying that, I'm just looking through my email and I've got folders of of people that are in the in the friend, just friend category, you know, right. and you're right. I probably haven't looked at it in months, but I'm like, oh, I got an email from so-and-so. I'll put it in there. I'll read it later. Um, exactly. You're not unsubscribing, but yeah. you're not necessarily engaged, you know, you're, yeah. you're just, they're just there. Yeah. And- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So now let's shift a little bit because we've talked a lot about, uh, really valuable stuff, frequency, um, you know, getting it into the inbox, getting people to open it. Um, now, let's talk about th- what's in the email because, again, you get to see such a large um, cross-section of emails going out. What are you seeing today that's getting the highest response rate? What are some of the common traits in those emails? Okay. Well, first of all, you got to understand something. And, you know, we do tailor – our service to high volume marketers. Okay. Yeah. And so we're fairly on the pricey side. Okay. So it's more of a boutique business. Now, uh, just to, to clarify that, because a lot of people have no idea what high volume actually is. You know, like w- where that sits. Is that 10,000 sure. a day or 10 million a day? We're talking about a million to 10 million a day. Okay. A million to 10 million a day. That's a lot of maybe, maybe a couple hundred thousand is our low end customer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, that type of person is got, they're focused on ROI. Okay. They're already spending a lot on the, on the mail Mm -hmm. and they're probably spending a lot on a lot of other elements of their business, creating a funnel, having staff, et cetera. When you're playing at that level, we're talking about, you know, a significant investment of at least five to six figures a month in your business. Okay. And so I'm, I'm not trying to alienate people who aren't in that category. So please listen, because there is information in here for you, too, if you're not playing at that level yet. I do believe you will be. But um, that kind of person is usually interested in mailing out really aggressive emails to get the click. 
right? And even though they're working with me and I know all this advanced segmentation stuff, not all of my clients listen to me. I know it sounds crazy, <laughs> but it's the truth. They don't all listen to me all the time and I get to see what they're doing. So they'll send out stuff and I've seen the, the tricky click kind of things, you know, yeah. they're, they're trying to get you, they've got a subject line that is really controversial or really uh, pushing the envelope of compliance. But again, because they come to me and I set them up on their own dedicated space that I'm a little more lenient, it's the kind of stuff that would get them kicked off of another shared email service provider, mm -hmm. okay? Because that person can't afford the heat they're going to take on their IPs because it affects all their customers at that point. Yeah. But They'll they'll send out more of, of uh, that, and they will probably. I'm seeing a lot shorter emails. Um, have been, I've seen emails get shorter and shorter. Now, I like to be the contrary. I'm a storyteller by nature. If you haven't gotten that yet from the <laughs> podcast, and uh, I believe that the more you tell, the more you sell. That's a little old school thinking, but talking to Derek, I know he'd get it, and I hope everyone listening to him would get it too. So I believe in selling. So the people that are really getting the most interaction are not necessarily the ones with the short um, stuff. They're, it's the ones with the longer emails where there's something to tell. There's a little bit more to it. Now, that's not to say that every email, the person who does something long, isn't selling something. They are. It's, as a matter of fact, you should be entertaining in every email that you send. And that goes back to the frequency comment. It doesn't matter. If you're, if you're entertaining people, A, you're going to move out of the friend zone and be someone that gets read. And B, you're going to get um, eyeballs on your emails, right? And, and, and eyeballs lead to interest, which leads to a good call to action, which will lead to a click-through and hopefully lead to a purchase or lead or whatever your most desired action is. So um, the guys who are really getting the best response, Derek, and what I'm seeing the most across the board is the guys who are taking that same approach of storytelling that leads to a click. I'm also seeing, I've tried to tell people this for a long time, shorten the amount of links in your email, the guys who are sending out a link at the top, a link in the middle, and a link at the bottom, or even more than that, they're only going to end up in a different folder, and it's probably going to be the spam folder. Mm. Okay, So guys who are getting better responses, I'm seeing, are shortening it down to one, two links max in emails. So tell more, longer content. And longer content also does something for you. I'm not trying to get you to, um, to put fluff in there. There's, a, there's an old spammer trick where they shove words, just words that mean nothing and sentences and phrases in their emails, and it, do, it does get through filters more. But that is actually the point of long content is you get more – you get through the filters more. Okay, so, so Gmail might see you as something more to say to their person, and they're also actually – Gmail and other providers are measuring how long people stay – on your email. And there's a there's a reason that they're doing that. It's not just to they they're not just they claim that they're just interested in protecting their users' inbox. But let's face facts. People give you a free email box because they're advertisers. They want you looking at the ads in your email and not just looking at them, clicking on them. And I mean the ads that Gmail's serving, that Yahoo's serving, that AOL's serving, that Microsoft is serving, right? Those ads put dollars in their pocket. So the longer that you read, the more 
chance you have to be presented with an ad that you might click on. Mm. So those companies actually reward the sender for keeping you on the site longer. So longer emails with more focus on uh, the person that is going to keep them reading more, more interest, that's something that's going to benefit you uh, several fold. And I've seen it across the board. That, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a, you know, that was a very interesting take on that because I've seen a, a big sway towards um, those short emails, right? Just get the click, yep. sell the click, get it as fast as you can. But it's true when I get a well-crafted email that has a story in it, that has some element of entertainment, right? It's intriguing. You know, I, I'm more likely to to sit there and read that email. Now, when you're presenting a longer email, um, what is your your formatting standards, and, and more specifically, your width? And the reason I ask this is because I've been watching and uh, and and trying to determine, okay, what's the best width? And I'm watching a lot of marketers where they maybe have 50 characters on a line before they're actually breaking it, right? So it's not, you know, it's it's super, super narrow, then you see other marketers that are, um, you know, having the text run away all the way across the page. They haven't put any, any um, restriction on the width. Okay. So it's a great question. I've been, this is an old school thing that I've been playing with forever. First of all, for those who don't know, what Derek's talking about is when you take the text of an email and you look at it and you count the number of characters, including spaces going across, and you come up with a certain number. And I've always stuck on 60. I don't remember why. As a matter of fact, I think it was our mutual uh, friend and mentor, Corey Rudel, yep. who taught this, right? Ta Corey taught this many, many years ago um, that, you know, you, you type out 60 characters, whether it be a, the hashtag sign or uh, an asterisk, whatever. I still do that to this day as a ruler. So there's tools, there's software that actually you can plug your email in and it will format it at 50, 60, 55 characters, whatever you tell it to. But I still, to this day, put the 60 at signs in or the 60 yeah, hashtag yeah. <laughs> and, and break it before the, that, that line. I like that approach. I think it looks more natural. Um, it also kind of fits in with the modern day feeling that most people are on their mobile device reading your emails. Yeah. And at 50 to 60 characters, you're going to stick within the uh, width of a mobile device. Um, if you're going to go into fancy HTML, which is fine, there are a lot of people who do it. I would probably hire a um, web designer who could build you a responsive template. Mm hmm responsive means that it will look the same as you intend for it to in any client, whether someone's looking at it on their uh, Microsoft Outlook, their Apple, their Mac mail, uh, or their Android um, mail client, their iPhone mail client, whatever the case is, it should look the same or very, very, very similar. And there's tools that are out there for, for the email uh, side of things where you can see how your mail will look across the client. I think it's more important rather than being so nitpicky about the character width, you, I would say 60 or under personally, if you're going to be, but is to see how well it's going to look in as many browsers, as many, uh, not browsers, but as many male clients as possible. And that's, um, that's pretty important. If you're going to use HTML, make sure that you use a responsive template because remember mobile is the probably, I would say 60 to 65% of people opening your email are opening it on a mobile device now. Yeah, actually, that was my very next question is if you'd seen what the split was of uh, mobile versus. So it's about 60% are looking on devices. 
Yeah, and actually, I've compared numbers for iPhone people. It's even higher. You know, the iPhone people are probably at about eighty-five um, percent are um, opening on an iPhone, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got um, like for your desktop clients, Outlook, and then Gmail. Most people, you know, are, are in the Gmail space. G- Google actually, it's an interesting thing. I'll talk to internet marketers all day long, and their main interest is in getting into the Gmail inbox. And so everybody thinks that Gmail is the bulk of every list, 65 to 70%. But I've got clients in other niches where Yahoo and AOL are actually their bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And then people where Hotmail is, or Microsoft, I, I keep calling it Hotmail because that was when I got into I still have my Hotmail account, but everybody. <laughs> Everybody's using Outlook now and Live.com, yeah. et cetera. So I, I, I do know those things, but forgive me for the dinosaur yeah, throwback. Yeah. Uh, I'm the same way. I, I still call it Hotmail, and right. I, I get it. Okay, cool. So you know the guys on the Microsoft, that, that you'll find that there are lists where they've got their different niches and their different needs. And over the years, I've worked with some interesting affiliate emailers, guys who were only interested in sending CPA offers for things. And they specifically focus on one um, or more ISP. So we've had to get really good at figuring out what it takes to get delivery to those specific receivers and um every everything's different everything's got its different rules so you know it's kind of important that you just make sure that you have really clean if you're going to do the html do really clean and if you're not going to do html i would just open up a text editor like a note notepad if you're on a uh, windows machine TextMate i like for max uh, open that up uh, copy and paste your text from there. Don't use Microsoft Word because it puts some weird formatting characters in. Um, and paste that right into the HTML box of whatever, whatever mailer software you're using and send that out. And that's probably going to be the cleanest HTML that you can send. And that really is important. It keeps your message a fairly lightweight, um, especially when you're sending out 10,000 to a million of them. And it also is something that is appreciated by the big guys that are out there when you send them cleaner html yeah for sure okay and so and and just a side note i mean any template that i've ever looked behind the scenes at the code of if you're using an aweber or an infusionsoft or whatever that may be infusionsoft is really guilty of this the code is just a disaster it's atrocious. It's horrific. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, and, and one thing I just wanted to go back to as well, and this is something that I've seen because I've got a large uh, sort of presence and database because I've done a lot of business in Asia and Australia. And so, you know, it's interesting. My lists there are um, far more skewed towards Yahoo and mm-hmm. uh, a lot less in the Gmail. So, you know, depending on where you are in the world, you're going to see, you know, different um, – uh, it's way and same with devices, right? You know, in Asia, you're going to get a lot more Android users than you would uh-huh. here versus iPhone. So, uh, absolutely, yeah, it's interesting. It's funny because I live in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, and up until about a year and a half ago, in Trinidad, everyone had a BlackBerry, and there was you weren't getting people, you weren't getting rid of Blackberries, and this is when everybody was like. BlackBerry's dead. And yeah. I started to read it. BlackBerry was actually up until about two or three years ago was the number one device in other parts of the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and now Android's taken over. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. And when you're, when you're doing business on a global scale like that, particularly with email marketing, you can't assume that the rules that apply in your country are the same everywhere else because they are not. Now. No. 
I have one more question, and I mean, I've got a hundred more questions, but I've got one more I'm going to ask because we're uh, we're almost out of time, and and that's your position on using images within email. Um, I'm fine with it as long as it's not abusive. Again, you hear, I just said a few seconds ago the weight of the email. Um, everything that you add to an email adds weight to its file size. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most emails should be about 20 to 50 kilobytes, mm-hmm. okay, max. The more images that you add, the worse it is. If you're going to add images, good HTML code is really important. So a lot of people have images turned off by default. If you end up in the spam folder or the promotions tab or whatever, actually, I'm not sure about the promotions tab, but certain spam folders, images are turned off. Uh, You will want to, A, include a link at the top to tell people to turn your images on because turning images on moves you out of the spam folder in Ah, Yahoo. ah. Right? So that little tip alone can get you something, can get you some leverage and some instant uh, reputation building there. And you also... Again, back to the good HTML, you want to use alt tags. Okay, Alt tags are the uh, HTML way of saying what an image it means or what, it, what the image was trying to convey if it's turned off in the person's browser or email client. So for instance, if you've got an image of Mickey Mouse in your email and it's turned off, but you're, um, it, you're kind of relying on that image to convey the message, the mood, whatever the case may be, if somebody doesn't see it, you might lose people and lose half the battle if your whole call to action was based on this beautiful uh, web uh, page that, or email, that HTML email you design. So the simple way to do it is use uh, alt text. So to say alt equals picture of Mickey Mouse. Okay, And then people might get an idea of what you meant to say. And if the alt text is interesting enough, and it could be anything you want, it doesn't have to say picture of or whatever, it could be anything that you want to say. It could say, turn on images because you're not seeing this. Mm-hmm. Okay, And you can then get people to turn on their images. And you could use it as a chance for marketing for more marketing, for more chances to engage, for more chances to get out of the spam folder. And uh, so I, I'm i fine with images in email as long as it's relevant to the message. It's cool. As long as it keeps the image, the email from getting too heavy, that's fine. Don't use style sheets. Style sheets are a waste of time if they're not if they're not external, meaning you're not calling them off of a website, you're trying to embed them in your email, they're never going to render properly on people's um, clients. So just use um, simple HTML. It's actually one of the best things that any marketer could learn for themselves is a little bit of HTML coding, and it's becoming a lost art completely. Yeah. Oh, it really is. And uh, and, and simple HTML. The, the, The level of HTML you need to put together an email is basic. Elementary. Yeah. Yeah, Total basic. Yeah. Yeah. No time. Yeah. So, okay. So now, uh, we're running out of time. It's too bad because I've got so many more questions for you, but we ha- we're going to wrap this up now before we wrap things up, where can our listeners find out more about you, your business projects you're working on? Where should they go? 
Okay, so you can either go to em13.com, which will probably be the best place. We're completely transitioning away from the Gold Bar brand. It's been you know close to 20 years with that, and it's time to you know put things to bed and, and move on with this new brand. So em13.com is where you can find out about me. Or you can go on LinkedIn, type in Mark Goldman, go to Facebook, Mark Goldman. I'm really open and connect uh, to connecting with people in social media. So I'm pretty active in the Internet Marketing Super Friends group and other groups um, online that marketers with questions uh and i'll usually jump in on email and usually thanks to chris lang because i might not be as into it as he is will be identified on something where i should be talking so come to em13.com we would love to have you as a client if you're appropriate it's not appropriate for everybody but pretty soon we're going to actually have a platform that is available for everybody and we'll still leverage a lot of the same things that we've talked about and we're actually going to also roll out an SMTP provider service, which we didn't get a chance to talk about. Something like SendGrid or Amazon SES. Yep. Uh, we're actually going to have Send13.com, which we're beta testing right now with a couple of clients, working really, really well. And that's going to be a really interesting model for us to move to in 2016. Uh, that's very cool. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. Because like I said, I've seen this void in the market for the longest time where you're either stuck with a shared IP or you're... Or, or you have to move up to, uh, you know, an exact target that's, you know, you, you, your minimum price to get in and set up is, you know, twenty five grand. Absolutely. And uh, and you know, so the, the, you're you're filling a need, and I I do I commend you for that and appreciate it as well. So, um, so uh, fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, Mark, for uh, unconditionally sharing the knowledge, giving all our listeners so much, uh, so many valuable tips and strategies for uh, getting maximum results with their email marketing. Thanks, Derek. I had a lot of fun, and uh, I'm happy to come back if you ever want. Oh, I'll, I'll have you back for sure because I got a big list of questions. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right, everyone. That was email marketing expert Mark Goldman. And as always, uh, any links that were mentioned in the interview, uh, the resources and ways to connect with him and stuff will be included in the show notes along with the entire transcript of this episode. And you can find them all at entrepreneurignited.com forward slash podcast. Also, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, you can automatically have every future episode of this podcast automatically delivered to your smartphone or device. And uh, for Apple-made devices, just head over to iTunes, search Derek Gale or Entrepreneur Ignited and click subscribe. And if you're an Android user, you can also subscribe using the SoundCloud app. Now it's time to take the tips, tools, and strategies you've learned here today and apply that final essential ingredient to making them work for you. And that ingredient is taking action. So go forth, take action, apply what you've learned, and stay tuned for more info-packed episodes of the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, a podcast designed to simplify online business so you can make more money. This is your host, Derek Gale, signing off. You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, where we aim to simplify online business so you can make more money. 